Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for listening in. We are uh, doing our November show for Dr. Connie's House Calls. I'm Dr. Connie Mariano, former White House physician, here broadcasting live from beautiful Tempe, Arizona. And I do the monthly show, and I look at the things that have happened in the past month and decide, gee, what's worthy of sharing with my audience out there? And I always start with my honorable mentions. I don't like doing shout-outs because I don't like shouting at people. So what comes to mind are several people. Suzanne and Dimitri are good friends of mine who are always very faithful people who listen in. I'm thinking of Maria, who had surgery today on her knee, and I'm hoping she's recovering well. I'm thinking of a whole bunch of my personal friends and my late husband John's friends who are traveling to Arizona over the next couple days to join us in John's celebration of life, which will be this Saturday. We have about 350 people coming, and I have the unenviable task, or privilege perhaps, of doing another eulogy or statement in his honor. And I I just thinking the other day, you know, I've never been a bridesmaid, never been a maid of honor, but darn, I've been doing eulogies. Now why now why is that? I've done I've done my mother and father's eulogies. I did my aunt and uncle's eulogy. I did my cousin's eulogy. I think the thing that tops it off is doing my husband's eulogy. And I did that July 11th at his uh, memorial service. And I'm going to do another statement about him, or I call it my personal tribute this coming Saturday. And when I look back, I always think of, I tell people, don't think of how he passed, think of how he lived and what are the lessons we learned from people's lives. So uh, it's, it's interesting, on the topic of eulogy, I was looking at my email the other day and I had years ago registered on Google, the Google search, I put my name, my name is Dr. Connie Mariano and anything with White House doctor or presidential health and that Google search will automatically pop up anything in the news that's that strikes that chord with coming up with my name. And it caught my attention because there was an obituary with my name on it, and it really freaked me out. It was, it was a lady with the last name of Carol, but her, her maiden name was Mary Connie Mariano. And it was in Buffalo, New York, and it was published November 12th. And it caught me. It's like, oh, my God, there, there is, like, my obituary. But it's a nice lady. She looks Italian. She passed November 9th. Her husband had passed before that. And she was a mother of three adult children. But what I think was really cool, she was, she, had, she was a loving grandmother of 12 grandchildren and 12 great-grandchildren. And I thought that was really neat. And then a coincidental thing was that she had her mother was Eleanor, which was my formal name. And it talked about her, her uh, funeral mass, memorial mass, and Our Lady of Sacred Heart. So condolences to... Mary Connie Mariano Caro to her family, but I just thought it was interesting. And I thought, you know, you, you think about, I think about death a lot lately after losing my husband. And I thought, one of the things are, what would I want in my obituary? What would I want said? What would I write? And, and I tend to be controlling. So part of it is like, would I write my own obituary? And I know people who have. And this past weekend, I spent the weekend in Sedona with one of my friends, Carolyn Curiel, who was former ambassador to Belize, who was a speechwriter under President Clinton, and had worked in the news industry 
for many, many years. She actually worked with NBC and, and Washington Post. And you know, I don't know if you know, but all these famous people out there, their obituaries are prepared. They have been prepared. For example, President, former President Bill Clinton, his obituary is ready to go. And I'm sure President Carter, former President Carter, his obituary is ready to go. So all of these have been prepared. And so I asked Carolyn, I said, so my former patient, so they have his obituary, right? She goes, oh yeah, I've seen it. I said, well, what does it stay, say? She goes, well, you know, the sad thing is it's about the blue dress. And I said, how sad. All, you could do all these good things in life, and your obituary headliner is about a stupid blue dress that, that highlights human weakness, human foible. And it's really sad. And I think of my husband's obituary in the Wall Street Journal, and it says, blunt-talking CEO rescued Remy Delco, and he was blunt talking. And one of the quotes they, they mentioned in his obituary was, he had a tendency to be pretty rough in that industry. And one of his famous quotes, quotes was, when he was firing, firing people was, don't let the door hit you in the ass, which was, oh, it's a little bit tough, but that's the way he was. He was known as being blunt. So I wonder what would my obituary look like? I have yet to write it. I did tell my kids what I wanted for my funeral service, but I've not yet written my obituary. But but I look at what is it that we stand for? What is it do you want to leave behind for the people? What kind of lessons do you want to share? And that's pretty much my remarks will be this weekend. What are the lessons learned that you want people to remember you by? And it brings a theme about November. When I think of November, it's about Thanksgiving. It's about gathering your family. It should be about gratitude. It isn't about watching the game and eating turkey and getting into fights with your family over politics. It's about how to survive the holidays and getting through it. But really, it's about gratitude, because how often are we grateful? And I think one of the things that helps people live long, healthy, good lives is to be grateful for even simple things, even when things are tough. How am I grateful? Even it's about the bad things that didn't happen today. I'm grateful that those things didn't happen. So I think think of that. One of the things for grateful is that I got I got my flu shot this year. So this is my my public service announcement is is about everybody getting their flu shots. That that the big push now now is a good time. I mean, if you wait longer, it takes about two months to get your antibody titers to rise. So don't wait too long. Make sure you get your flu shot. You know, you try to get at least seventy percent of the population out there or more to get that. People do die of the flu. They die of complications of pneumonia from the flu. So if you can get your flu shot, if you're over 65, get the high-dose flu shot. You get a little bit better immune response to that. None of these shots are 100% effective. I mean, it'll it'll decrease the likelihood that you'll get it, maybe about 60% lucky, and worst years, 20%. But it's it's an educated guess what type of antigen to put in that vaccine. But definitely, you know, go out there and get your flu shot. Go see your doctor, really, to pr protect yourself is important. So going back to the, the theme about Thanksgiving, you know, I think about family memories. What kind of traditions do you have? Think of that. And really try to be grateful. And you see it more when you lose people this time of year. The time of year when, when, when you empty, finish off the calendar and you think of New Year's and who passed this past year, right? They always play all Lang Syne, and you think of all the people who've, who passed away and how are we grateful for their lives that they came into our lives, but also how do we prepare for Christmas? How do you prepare for the birth of Christ, of the holidays, and is it all about shopping or is there a deeper meaning to that? And hopefully there's a, there's a, there's a deeper meaning for the reason for the season. So we think about gratitude and peace for this show.
because life's all about conflict. Life's about difficulty. Who has an easy life? Nobody has an easy life. You know, if you're having easy life, you're delusional or you're, you're in denial. But, you know, everyone has conflict. There's no easy life. Even for people that they think I haven't made, I mean, what's your idea of a bad life is like, oh, my gosh, I stressed out today. I had poor cell coverage and I had to wait in line at Starbucks. I'm really having a rough life right now. Well, really, there are people who are starving and dealing with disease and, and loss of life. I mean, that's pretty tough. So how do you get through life? And I think having the attitude of gratitude really helps. One of the things I believe in with all the conflict that we face is it's good to have, I call your circle of sanity, your inner circle, and it helps that your, you know, your spouse, your partner is your biggest fan, and that, that person, somebody you trust, is in your circle of sanity. Gotta have that circle of sanity when things go rough. You can rely on those people, and they're usually about five people. Those five people in your circle of sanity, and they've done studies at how many people in your life can you really keep close. And I call them the hide-the-body friends, where if you wanted to kill somebody, there are only five people you would tell, and they would protect you, and they would you know, get the gun, the shovel, not that I'm advocating that. They'd get the truck. They'd hide the body. And I, and I actually did give this same concept to the women of Perryville Prison one time, the hide-the-body friends. Said so not that I'm advocating you do this, but if you ever did something like that, there are only five people you would tell that you would trust to, to have your back. So have your five hide the body friends to look for to look after you, to really support you in really tough times and, and also happy times. If you won the lottery, who would you tell? You're not gonna tell everybody you won the lottery because you know you get you don't trust everybody. But I look at also what gets us through life is faith. And I, I don't know how people survive without it. I, I look at the headlines. One of the headlines from the Wall Street Journal was on Thursday, October 17th, and the headline on page A3 was Youth Suicide Up 56% in the Decade. And the CDC report finds that homicide rate turned higher after years of declines. What's going on? You know, young kids, where you should be hopeful, are killing themselves. Why is that? It's gotten so bad that you're going to take your life, you're going to be out of the game. There's no hope. And... And that's, that's a sad thing, that people, when you're starting off life, you've got your whole life in, ahead of you, and you take, away, you take away that chance. So what's happened? And then I think, you know, what follows after that was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal of Saturday, November 16th, and it's about religion and how fewer younger Americans are going to church, that there's no more faith, there's no more church, there's no more belief in a higher power or a God, that there isn't, and that it's a culture of, depression. It's a, it's a culture of, of just no hope. There's no faith. And when you die, you die. That's it. You go away. There's no afterlife. There's no higher power. There's no God. Maybe our gods have been replaced by the internet, by social media, by, by materialism, by whether people like you. And how sad that is. How sad that when you look at your mortality, that's all it's based on. Well, no wonder people are killing themselves. There's no reason to be around, right? If you don't get enough likes and people bully you, you're done. And we have many examples from history of people who've gone through rougher times, through world wars, through poverty, through pestilence, through plague, and people hung in there. But I think what got them through that is they had faith in a higher power, in a God. They had religion, they had spirituality, they believed that there was a purpose and there was a meaning for their life and they had a higher power to go to. They had God to guide them. So I, I think of that a lot as I, as I look back at, at my husband's passage of, of life and, and why I should continue on in life. I, I'm, again, grateful of, of having had that time with him, even though I've only known him for 17 years, been together with him 11 years, but just being grateful for the life we have. You know, how do you deal with struggle? And I think 
the biggest lessons are people who've been before us, you know, who've been examples. And for somebody who, who always looks at the examples of American presidents, I look at the health of presidents, and one of the books I want to write is what kind of health lessons presidents teach us about how to live long, good lives. But how do you deal with struggle? And one of the books that came to mind is this wonderful book, and we have our author in studio, who I'm going to interview today. And it's a brilliantly written book, beautifully researched, well done. And it's done by the author, Alan Sears, with Craig Austin and Ryan Cole. And the title of the book is The Soul of an American President, The Untold Story of Dwight D. Eisenhower's Faith. And I have this book in studio. And I know our last, our last show was about sleep disorders and having trouble falling asleep. And I'm going to encourage everybody out there, if you have trouble falling asleep, you should go on Amazon, right, and, and order this book because it's so brilliantly written, but it's relevant today more than ever, and it's uplifting. And it gives you real-life examples of what to do when life is rough using flesh and blood real people. And so when you're having trouble sleeping, look at this because it'll make you think. And of course, if you and it's real, so well written, you, you don't want to put it down, so you can probably stay up a little bit longer. But but I've, I've I've enjoyed reading this because it's so well written, and there were so many things about Dwight about Ike. I knew him as as I knew about him as a general. In fact, my uncle, the late Marciano Mariano, was a Navy steward under Eisenhower. He's one of his valets in the White House, and he stayed around through Kennedy, was there through the Kennedy assassination, was in the White House, and he left under LBJ. So he'd been there that entire time. So that's where he started off was with Eisenhower. And I was born during the Eisenhower years in 1955. But I knew him only, you know, of the history of him as a great general, as a, as a, as a good president. But again, a lot of what, what's revealed in this, which Alan Sears will share with us, I think is really going to help. You know, we've got some extra time, and I, I want to... Do we have some extra? Oh, okay. So I'm, my pointer is pointing out here, because I, I want to spend more time with the interview. We're going to take a, a quick break, come back, and I'm going to in introduce the author of The Soul of American President, Alan Sears, who's a very distinguished gentleman, very talented, has contributed much to to our faith, I think, and protecting our faith in this country. So I'll, we'll, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I'll introduce Alan Sears, and we're going to talk about this fabulous book, but also a lot of the lessons that President Eisenhower has imparted on us on what to do in our lives and how he can help us in times of struggle. So stay tuned on Dr. Connie's House Calls, and we'll bring you back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. 
Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnyradio at gmail.com. That's drconnyradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back, and we're in studio today with Alan Sears. And before I segue into introducing Alan Sears, one of the thoughts I had, the reason we're doing this show, is we learn lessons from other people's lives. And I always enjoy studying American presidents, having served three American presidents for nine years at the White House. What is it about American presidents that we can learn from that we can apply to our own lives? Well, one of the things is American presidents deal with conflict. They deal with death. They deal with struggles. They deal with controversy. They deal with faith. And one of those great examples who is really a shining example of of religious faith is former president, the late president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was a general in the Army during the war. And the book that I'm, we're highlighting today, and we're going to encourage you to get a copy, is Alan Sears' book, The Soul of an American President, The Untold Story of Dwight D. Eisenhower. Now, I've known Alan Sears probably now about 17 years, 17, 18 years. And dear friend of ours, uh, beautiful wife Paula, who's in studio, wonderful family, and I cherish that friendship very, very much. In fact, we traveled, my late husband John and I traveled with Ellen Paula last year to Normandy for the D-Day tour, and it was like the highlight of John's life. He really needed to go see the, the, the battles, battle sites in Normandy and D-Day, and he, I, he continually talked about that. But Alan is very accomplished. He serves as the vice chairman of the ADF Alliance for Defending Freedom Foundation Board of Directors. He previously served as the president of the foundation, which was established by the Alliance Defending Freedom Board of Directors as an independent entity to assist with and process planned and legacy gifts. Alan Sears is the founding president and CEO, served the ministry from July 1993 to 2019. That's a long, long time. (laughs) And he tells me, I think the thing that's amazing about this organization, it started off 
1993 with one person, with you, right? That's right. With one person. And in 2019, was recognized by the National Law Journal as the most successful litigator before the U.S. Supreme Court over the last five years, which was it's unbelievable, which really, I believe, is touched by the hand of God. That's, that's God, God in action. When it's beyond unbelievable, it's, that's God working. It's all about gratitude, Dr. Connie. It, absolutely. During his tenure, the Lord enabled ADF to grow a dream into the largest religious civil liberties entity in the world. And according to the, the empirical Supreme Court of the United States, ADF was the most successful litigant of the court, as we mentioned, for five years. Alan Sears has appeared on many television interviews and featured on the Today Show, Nightline, CNN, Fox News, and even Oprah. He has been a guest on hundreds of radio programs. So this is good. I, I'm just going to let him talk. I'm just going to listen. <laughs> He's co-authored several books, most recently The Soul of the American President, which we're going to highlight today. Alan, thank you so much for being here today on our show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, it's, a, it's a joy to be here with you, Dr. Connie, and for your audience, I always call you Dr. Connie. She has other names, but uh, that's how I know her, and that, that's how I love her. And as she mentioned, she has been my doctor through thick and thin. She's helped me across the globe, day and night. Uh, I, I can't. It, we could spend the whole program just talking about little episodes where she made it possible for me to continue to perform and do my duties uh, by giving me medical support when uh, nobody else could possibly have done it. Well, I'm, I'm blessed. You. I'm, you're welcome. I'm blessed and honored. I always give credit to God. I'll share with the audience, before, before I see patients, I actually say a silent prayer. I ask God, show me the right way how to serve you, what to do. And I've had one person tell me the other day, he goes, oh, you saved my life. I said, no, that, that wasn't me. <laughs> that was, that was the, the, the doctor in heaven. And, and after we talk about Eisenhower, we, if we talk about me, I'll tell about how you saved mm -hmm. my life, too, with God's Grace. Well, there's a T-shirt that I want to buy, and I, I saw it a long time ago in a magazine catalog, and it said, I work for God. The retirement benefits are great. <laughs> so I'm going to get that, give it to everybody for Christmas. But, Alan, tell us about this wonderful book you wrote. What, what inspired you to write it? Well, I have been, uh, I've been a lawyer, as you said, for over 40 years, and I've been in practice in many different settings. I worked uh, in the Reagan administration. I was in a private uh, law firm. I worked for different charities, different uh, organizations, and ministries. And one of the things that I saw along the way was the need for training of young lawyers on how to integrate their life, the things that you talk about on this program. How do you integrate your spiritual life, your faith life, into your professional life? You know, so many people are taught today to bifurcate everything. You have, you have your nine-to-five life. You have your uh, evening life, you know, all these sorts of things. And we said, no, let's, let's talk about how to integrate faith and to prepare people, young people, for places of service. And so, among other things, we launched a program we called the Blackstone Legal Fellowship, which over 2,200 young people from 221 different law schools in 28 different countries have now graduated from. Oh, amazing. Uh, it's it's an all-nine-week uh, summer program. Uh, for, for law students. But during that time, I wanted to teach them different principles. Uh, we brought in law professors. We brought in people from different professions to give different backgrounds. But there were some virtues and characteristics that I wanted them to learn. And one of those was the virtue of perseverance. You know, in this era, we have people who job jump. Uh, you know, I've been in that firm for you know over two weeks, and they haven't made me president yet. And I'm waiting to become the senior partner. And why, why is it I have to go through the hoops to become a federal judge? Mm -hmm. 
why can't I do that three days after law school? I'm being a little uh, hyper uh, silly there, but but anyway, I wanted to teach people about perseverance. And I looked around. I'm a history nut. I've written a number of books, studied a lot. And Dwight Eisenhower's life was a shining example of somebody who had been through it, came from absolute dire poverty, poverty so low that today we can't even fathom in our culture with all the support systems and things how poor his family was, death of a brother, uh, impact on the family, uh, marital troubles, death of a son, on and on and on, uh, obscure appointments after hard work. And the guy just stood with it, persevered, and made it great, ultimately becoming a five-star general, win, you know, winning the Battle of Europe, uh, and becoming uh, the president of the United States, and, and having an incredibly successful term, uh, two terms, being overwhelmingly reelected. So what was the secret sauce? Yeah. So I said, well, let's talk about perseverance. And for about 20 years, I gave lectures about his virtue of perseverance. Went through his biography, all the details, the ups, the downs, and how he did it. And then about uh, six, seven years ago, I began to say, why? How was he able to do this? I've been talking about how he toughed it out, but what was the secret sauce? What was behind his ability? And Dr. Connie, it was his faith. And, uh, you know, like all people born in the 1890s and growing up in that era through the First War and the Second World War, he was pretty quiet uh, in public places about his faith. He didn't write about mm -hmm. it, didn't talk about it a lot. But something happened when he became president of the United States. He became, uh, you might say, he became the nation's pastor. He came out yeah. of the closet. <laughs> uh, he, he talked more about faith than probably any other president wow. did during his term. He gave speech after speech. The, uh, the, the phrase uh, uh, on the coins uh, that Lincoln put it, in God we trust, trust. well, he, he put it on the uh, currency that we all have today. Wow. Uh, the Pledge of Allegiance with the phrase under God mm -hmm. was added under his presidency. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gave speech after speech, talk after talk. And in fact, one of the things he talked about, Connie, was spiritual weapons. He said, we're in a cold war. We're in a, a, a very tough time. It's, it, for people you're in my age, we remember the Cold yes, War. My dad's job was actually to train people on how to survive nuclear attacks. Yeah, I was in Washington, D.C. during that time in Catholic school and, in, in, the, in the district. And they taught us to go in the hallway and duck and cover. Sit in the hallway, cover your head in case of nuclear, when we have nuclear war. And I was taught uh, as part of that to get under a desk. Right. And I always, later when I was older, I thought, let's see, nuclear bomb, wooden okay. desk, hallway. It's not gonna protect us. May not work real well, but at yeah. least it gave us a thought. But anyway, right. in that time, which was very, very difficult, yeah. the Soviet Union was a real formidable opponent. Uh, he said that America is going to be okay because of our spiritual weapons. Yeah. He actually said that we are reaffirming the transcendence of our religious faith and our heritage, and we will have, because we have these spiritual weapons, because we have this faith in God, mm -hmm. we will survive and we will find peace. Mm -hmm. And for eight years, he talked about that theme. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the book, I, I described this at the very beginning, one of his cabinet officers was cleared to go in the office and apparently the uh, assistant, whoever cleared, didn't check just before. And the guy walks in and, where's the president? You know, they're in the Oval Office and they're looking around. And where does he find the president? He's on his knees right. behind his desk in prayer. 
so the secretary quietly slipped out, waited to come back in. Um, you know, so when you find the, you know, the chief executive in prayer, it's kind of an indicator. The most he, powerful he, man in America on his knees looking asking for prayer. And, yeah. and another asking. thing, uh, we're jumping around in his bio, but when he was uh, inaugurated president for the first time in 1953, he did something that no president before or since has ever done. He wrote a prayer himself and he interrupted his inaugural address. He said, I would like to have permission from you all listening to pray. And he prayed a prayer he had prepared himself, asking for God to bless his time in the White House, to bless his future cabinet, uh, to bless the affairs of the nation. Mm -hmm. And then in his inaugural address, he talked about these kinds of things. He talked about how America's very foundation set upon religious faith that these principles that had underlaid uh, what we call now, I guess it's politically incorrect, but what we call the Do founding it. fathers. Sure. Uh, he said this was what they were talking about, what their frame of reference was. Right. And he said, basically, we can't survive uh, this nation without it. And, uh, and time and time again, he said, this is actually a quote from one of his uh, talk, or his, from his inaugural on this. He said, this faith, is the abiding creed of our fathers. It is our faith in the deathless, deathless dignity of man, governed by eternal moral and natural laws. This faith defines our whole way of life. It establishes beyond debate those gifts of the Creator that are man's inalienable rights and that make all men equal in his sight. And of course, jumping fast forward, you remember in Little Rock, uh, Arkansas, he sent in the 101st Airborne, the same people that had liberated St. Mary Glace mm -hmm. uh, there behind Utah Beach at Normandy mm -hmm. that your husband and I visited. Mm -hmm. uh, that 101st mm -hmm. went in when the governor of Arkansas would not allow those little black boys and girls uh, to go to school as had been uh, ordered. Uh, Eisenhower got pretty serious. He sent in the fight in 101st, and by golly, we know what happened uh, because he believed in the equality of mankind, and his faith was not something for talk. It was something for action, he something for life. It. You know what strikes me as you talk about him and his incredible faith, and I look at that and I contrast it to today. He believed there was a God. I think today, Alan, I think the decline I see is because what's happening now is people believe they are God. Uh, They're all their own gods, and that's why nobody's happy. Well, Everybody thinks they're their own God, that they don't believe there is a God. They are God, well, and, and that's why it, nobody's happy. And when you're self-sufficient, you don't need anything. And then when you're not getting the answers you need, when you're not achieving what you want to achieve, right. but you have nowhere to look for, you're in pretty big trouble. Right. He, uh, it also takes humility. It takes a, a, when you say he's on his knees, it takes a huge amount of humility to do that, to accept, I am not omnipotent. There's somebody, something greater than I to whom I'm going to seek help, that I'm going to serve. I think that's what's happened. I'll give you another uh, Eisenhower. I don't want to wear yeah. out the audience with no, quotes, no. but yeah, his words, and by the way, here's an interesting thing. At different times in his career, in the Army assignments he had, he was a speechwriter for various commanding officers. And so when uh, he became president, he did not rely on speechwriters the he way a lot himself. of people do. He, he yeah. either wrote them or he edited them very heavily himself. And so these were his words, not the words of another. He said uh, in a speech given to the uh, 
uh, presidential prayer breakfast, he said, I think prayer is simply a necessity because by prayer, I believe we mean an effort to get in touch with the infinite. We know that even our prayers are imperfect. Even our supplications are imperfect. Of course they are because we're imperfect human beings. But if we can back off from these problems and make the effort, then there's something that ties us all together and we've begun in our grasp of the basis of understanding, which is what all free governments firmly rooted in, is a deeply religious faith. And he called on time and again for people to pray. He was being introduced, uh, many listeners would remember the name of Claire Booth Luce. And uh, she, she was interviewing, yes. talking to him in 1952 when he was running for president. And uh, at that time, he didn't belong to a church. He had not belonged to a formal church before. And, and she and other uh, Republican activists were saying, you got to get in a church. You know, you're running for president. You got to, you know, you got to connect. And he explained because of his army duties, because of the way they looked in the military, then he didn't think he should be part of an organized church. And he said, I will not join a church to try to get the vote. Oh, and he waited until after he was president. Well, how apolitical. Uh, Isn't that refreshing? <clears throat> but, but, but he didn't do it because he, he wanted to, to, to make his poll numbers go up. Yeah, he, he, was, he didn't think it was he, right. He wouldn't do it. He didn't that. want to manipulate it. And, uh, but uh, Claire Booth and others kept saying, Pushing talk it. about yourself and, and tell us about this. And finally he got angry and he said this, uh, which was captured. She said, he said to Claire Booth Luce, do you think I could have fought my way through the war? Yeah ordered thousands of fellows to their death if I couldn't have gone down on my knees and talked with God and begged him to support me and make me feel like I was doing what was right for myself and the world? Mm -hmm. Why, I couldn't have lived a day without God. And, you know, to him, it was as natural as yeah. breathing. Yeah. You know, he, he, as I mentioned at the outset, when he grew up, his family was in dire poverty. He was born in Texas just a few months after his birth. His family moved back to Abilene, Kansas, which is a small town now, but at the time they moved there, it was even much smaller. smaller. And the level of poverty that the family lived in is something that people today can't even imagine. Uh, his father was an oilman on the uh, railroad and barely, barely made, finally went to work for a creamery. And they, they ha basically had none of the things we have now uh, but his mother, uh, who had lost a son and suffered greatly and had actually changed many things that their family did and the way they lived because of the loss of that son, spent time with all of her five, uh, well, the six surviving boys. Ike had five surviving brothers. He, she spent time every night in the Word of God, in the Scriptures, sharing and teaching them the, the Scripture. And throughout his life, he remembered those scriptures, and then in the time of his service in the military and then ultimately in the White House, uh, he knew the scriptures. He used them in context. You know, we've had some recent politicians. I remember, mm -hmm. I don't want to criticize mm -hmm. somebody too much. I mm -hmm. remember a vice president who created a non-existent Bible verse uh, that mm -hmm. was from popular folklore. Mm -hmm. uh, we remember others who uh, quote these things out of context or a speechwriter you know, says, find me a verse that uh, says something about so-and-so. He knew, he knew where to go. He knew what the uh, things were, and he knew that he could not do this on his own. And uh, it, it was really an exciting journey because it, when we first started it, and we saw all these speeches, Connie, we said, is this guy for real? You know, because we're used to the cynicism and the faithlessness of people in public life today, the exploitation right, right. that we've seen so often. 
And uh, so we began to go deep and deeper. And he, he did a lot of things that if, he, if his faith wasn't real, he was nuts. Uh, just for another example, uh, we talked about the fact he would not join a church to get votes. Well, in January 1953, after he's inaugurated, after he's in office, he went over to the National Presbyterian Church where one of his army chaplain commanders mm -hmm. was now the pastor. Mm -hmm. And he walked over on a Sunday morning and he made a profession of faith. He was baptized and received into membership. And he basically never missed a church service the rest of his life unless he was in the hospital or on some kind of a difficult foreign uh, travel. Uh, as his life developed, he, he was an avid golfer, and he, he actually sort of adopted a church everywhere that he mm -hmm. played golf. Uh, in the church in Denver, Colorado, uh, near Cherry Hills, where he played, he donated the pulpit that's there today. He and Mamie uh, donated that. In uh, Palm Springs, he had a church that he was active with and went to every Sunday when he'd be playing golf in Palm Springs. In Augusta, Georgia, uh, which was his favorite place in the world to go, home of the Masters, where everybody right. uh, wants to get on by hook or crook, uh, <clears throat> not only did the uh, members provide a cottage for he and Mamie to use with Secret Service cooperation, but he cut a deal with the, uh, with the chairman of the club. Uh, because they didn't want the disruption of the president going in and out of office. So the, he said, there's only one time I'll leave when I'm there at Augusta, and it's Sunday morning for worship. Amazing. Such immense faith. We're going to take a quick break and come back with Alan Sears to talk more about the faith of our, our late president, former president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, an incredible man, how faith sustained him, and what a great example he is, especially now in this time of our country. Stay, stay tuned. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. 
You can like and comment on the Voice America Empowerment Channel Facebook page. This is the place to get and share advice from some of the best leaders on the planet. Get started today by searching for Voice America Empowerment or click the like button under the player today. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. I'm getting a lot of great information here and actually wonderful inspiration from Alan Sears, the author of The Soul of an American President, The Untold Story of Dwight D. Eisenhower's Faith. And Alan, over the most of the show, has shared us the incredible stories and examples how President Eisenhower just had amazing faith. He walked the walk. He talked the walk. He did everything well. But you've got some actually quite humorous story you want to share with us before we talk about Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, there, there, you know, we were talking when we went out about the fact that every, everywhere he played golf, he had a church and he was very active. Uh, and of course, uh, he was active in, in, in Washington, D.C. at National Presbyterian. He helped raise money to build the new one, helped lay the cornerstone for their new building, raised $20 million for the national denomination, all in his spare time, of course. But uh, one of my favorite stories is he, he at the outset, uh, he, as I said, in the inaugural, he had stopped and he had prayed for his future cabinet members. And he said, I want to start every cabinet meeting with prayer. Well, they did that, but something happened. He had a heart attack, the first of a number of health crises that he had in office. And so when he got back, they were all very excited about the president being there. They just kind of launched in the meeting. And uh, an aide came along, Mr. President, Mr. President, we forgot uh, to open with prayer. And he said, we forgot the goddamn prayer. Let's uh, go on. <laughs> it's a little crusty there. <laughs> and, and, uh, but, you know, the sincerity. Uh, you know, another example from his life that I loved, one of the post-interviews that I uh, – one of the things I love to do now, and all of your listeners can do this. There's a lot of YouTube clips of uh, Eisenhower. And they interviewed him after he was president about some of the different crises during his time. Some people would remember Gary Power and the U-2 incident when it was shot down. And if people would recall, he took the blame for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than trying to cover it up and so forth, there was a little bit of, uh, of tomfoolery at the beginning, but he ultimately took the blame, said it was his responsibility. And in one of these interviews done after the presidency was concluded, he explained, he said, I, I felt like I had to tell the truth. Well, that's an innovation, and, right? And uh, and I thought when I watched this, wow. I said, wow. I'd, I'd like like every member of Congress in the to Senate to watch this. Oh. But he said, you know, I've got to deal. I was trying to deal with a guy named Khrushchev. We were in a very serious time. How could I deal with the guy if he thought I would lie about these kind of things? Because I, I could either say, well, as president, I was above it. I didn't know all these things were right. going on. We've heard those me. excuses before. Or he, could, or he could lie and, and, and say it didn't happen at all, et cetera. But he said, no, you got to man up on these things. And I, I'm sincerely convinced this was part of his faith stuff. Again, some of the things he did while president uh, that were unusual, he, he and Mamie had never owned a car, never owned a house. 
before he was president of the United States. He had been in military service, hadn't had a need for a car, and as far as a house, they couldn't afford one. They were always living in uh, military housing. He was all over the world. Obviously, you don't have a house when you're in the European theater. And uh, so they finally bought this uh, little farm up in Gettysburg, and they're restoring the place. And uh, his church in Gettysburg uh, is uh, the Presbyterian Church downtown there, which is still the most beautiful, quaint little brick place. There's a pew marked where he sat every Sunday. But uh, he and Mamie decided they wanted to have a dedication service. And so they went over to the church, and they asked uh, then the senior pastor to come privately to their house and do a house blessing and then he tacked up two plaques, one of a hymn and one of a little uh, German prayer. Those are still tacked to the wall there. The National Park Service owns the property, governs it today, but they're still there. And uh, this is a private service nobody knew, no media covered it. And one of the uh, ways that we found out about this was uh, we found this uh, pastor, he was in his 90s, and we interviewed him, and he said, oh, let me tell you about the house blessing story. I didn't even know and, it. And There's basically, no there was a Secret Service agent. There was Mamie and Dwight Eisenhower who stood on the front porch and prayed to ask God to protect the home that would be uh, the only home they ever owned in their whole life. Isn't that amazing? And I just – those are the kind of things that let you know something about – what kind of guy this, this, it's this man was. The character was. of a person is what they do when the press isn't watching and when no, there's nobody watching. That's who they are. And another They're thing, not trying to impress And anybody. another thing uh, on that note, uh, some of the foreign travel, some of the times it was very difficult for them to find, uh, you know, how church. do you find in, sure. a, even a, a Christian church or mm-hmm. a particularly a Presbyterian church in some areas? Well, he was in India. And uh, not too far from the Taj Mahal, and nobody knew where any churches were. But he he woke up, he he talked to his uh, lead Secret Service agent. He said, Connie, you know, when presidents move, even back in the 50s, it's a big deal. But he said, I need to go to church this morning. And uh, so the uh, Secret Service got on the phone. They they tracked down a location and very quietly, moving as, as few people as possible to avoid any publicity, they took the president of the United States to go to a uh, Christian church in India. India. They found it. And, uh, you know, again, why would he do that kind of thing? He's not doing it to it, impress. He's doing it because it's right for it's him. Because he need, because he felt the burden of office. Yeah. He knew he could not carry it himself. And uh, the way that he got the power to persevere through all these times of crisis, all these times of difficulty, was by looking above himself. And he was a very grateful guy. You know, I really believe prayer and our faith in God is the best therapy. I mean, obviously, people have other forms of therapy. But for me, just for my personal witness, I mean, helping me through the times of losing my husband, my friends have been helpful. I have a bereavement counselor I talk to. But prayer above all. When you talk to the creator of the universe, the ultimate being who governs all, when you talk to God and you ask God, help me, you know, that there's no filter. You talk. You talk to God. You pray to God. You ask for help. Well, you ask what, for divine intervention. And you were talking about youth suicide, Connie. Oh, yeah. And when I, when I, when I, we worked to train these young law students, mm-hmm. these, these young lawyers, I always talk to them about whether you can be life's victim mm-hmm. or life's student. It's right. a choice. Right. And the way that uh, – and I'm confident that Dwight Eisenhower, through his entire life of many, many hardships we don't have time to even begin mm-hmm. to touch on. That's why you can read the book. But uh, Dwight Eisenhower clearly was a guy whose 
who made himself a life's student, right. who saw and depended upon his creator, upon this force, this God beyond himself mm -hmm. that carried him forward and gave him the ability uh, to withstand all. You know, his mother and his father had grounded him in faith. Uh, they raised him up in teaching of scripture. He, he knew these things. He drifted probably uh, away from it to some extent in his early years as an adult, like mm, an awful lot, lot of, of us have done. But he came back when it counted, and it gave him the cornerstone for everything we've talked about. I really believe that when you look at kids, the two biggest things you give them, and my husband's quoted this, and I've heard this from other people, you give them roots and you give them wings. And part of those roots is a great foundation with education, love, discipline, respect, kindness, but also faith. You give them faith because you, you cannot bubble wrap your children. Everybody wants, do you want your children safe or you want them strong? Because life is tough and you're not going to always be there to protect them, cover up. You know, you make them strong, you fortify them, you give them weapons of faith so that when it's tough and you're not there around, they become resilient and they can stand up to the challenges. That's part of life. We've got a few more minutes left and it's, this is our show before Thanksgiving. Next week is Thanksgiving. What are you grateful for? Well, I'm, I'm immensely grateful for more things than we could possibly talk about on the program. But uh, one of the things that happened to me this year that will sound funny to your listeners, uh, I was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer. And uh, quite frankly, I'll tell the listeners it's because of you, because of Dr. Connie, that I'm probably going to be here for a good while in the future. Without you, we wouldn't have diagnosed it. We, we, you saw some things that didn't look right for couple of years. You sent me to specialist after specialist. One highly noted place instead of specialists basically said, come back in a year or two. Mm -hmm. uh, they just completely missed it. And because of your persistence, your perseverance for me and your prayers, uh, you finally directed us to uh, people that found it. And it was, it was quite a ways along. But uh, all the tests, and I just say this to every man listening, uh, my PSA score never went over a two. Uh, and, yeah. and, and doctor, you know how unusual that is, but you, you felt things, you, I was losing some weight, I was losing energy, and you just kept pushing it on. So I have to say, thanks be to God to you. I'm grateful for my doctor, and I'm grateful for my dear wife, Paula, who stood with me through this, and all of my family, my children. One of my uh, daughters was in New York. She quit her job to come out and uh, cook for me and support me through all this. Uh, one of my, uh, my son uh, took a uh, leave from his uh, position in New York. His employer was kind enough to allow him to work remote. They drove me back and forth to daily radiation treatments. And uh, just so many, so I'm thankful for our, our medical system. I'm thankful for uh, insurance. Uh, I'm <laughs> thankful for family support and the love. And this is gonna sound really funny, but uh, I told somebody, uh, I've told several people, get cancer, get kids. Yeah. Uh, I've been very blessed to have children who've been close to me, but uh, every child, no matter where they lived in the, in the country, from the Midwest to the uh, East Coast, all came to be with me and spend time with me. We had uh, some of the best conversations we ever had in our life, and we talked a lot about our faith and about uh, what's important and what matters. And if uh, things don't work well, which nobody wants to talk about. Right, but, that was the time to do it. But if things don't work well, what are some of the things we want to have uh, that last? Amen. And I'm thankful that I've had that opportunity. 
And you're not done yet. I mean, God willing, and I, I never take credit for, for people we, quote, save, because we only save you temporarily. In the end, I pass people on to God, because that's who ultimately takes everybody. But I always ask for guidance. And there's a reason you're still around. It's not time to leave yet. When it's time, God will come will come get you, as, as he took John. But I, I am grateful for your friendship and, and the people I know. God surrounds me with people who give me messages. And it's really in perseverance, but it, the gratitude part, as I think next year for the audience, when you sit down next week for Thanksgiving, don't forget to give thanks before you launch into your, your meal and the family conversation. Hold hands. Give thanks because without God, none of this would be here. Well, I, I challenge give credit to God. Yeah, exactly, Connie. And I challenge people. Um, there's a phrase that's gone around a long time. It's not about you, right? Uh, Rick Warren sold, I think, 35 million copies right. of a book, and that was the opening sentence. But, not about you. But it's not. You're about, not God. It, we're not God, and nope. and we're put here. Uh, we were given the gift of life for a purpose, and we're called to use these lives for the benefit of others. And what I find is when you pour yourself into serving others like Dwight Eisenhower did, it, you know, everywhere along the way, he got horrible assignments along the way. But, there. but when you look back at his life, everything that he did, no matter how gross or how weird or how difficult it was, was preparing him right. for that Next ultimate step. challenge of leadership. Right, and you and, persevere, and there's a reason. If you believe in faith, God will show me the way. And that's what gave him the ability to go through hopeless and difficult right. circumstances, loss of a child, separation from his wife for a period of time, all kinds of marital difficulty, health challenges beyond belief, to come back and get it done for all of us. And to triumph. Well, with that, we're going to end our show for this month, and I want everybody to get a copy of the book, Alan Sears is the Soul of an American President. It's a great read about the untold story of President Dwight D. Eisenhower's faith. Please persevere, don't give up. There's a reason, and have faith. So with that, I wish you all a wonderful, blessed Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next month on Dr. Connie's House Calls. God bless you all. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.